Welcome to Sierra Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. Hello, my name is Carlos Pasquale, and welcome to the Sierra Week Conversation in a series with thought leaders, exclusive discussions with people who are at the center of industry, public policy, economics, finance, technology, people who are involved in leading us through the energy transition and thinking about the recovery from the COVID pandemic. Today, we have an opportunity to talk with Felipe Bayon, the CEO of EcoPatrol. And we get to ask Felipe this question, what does a national oil company mean for the future? What does it look like? How does it need to change? And Felipe, it's such a pleasure to have you here and to have this discussion. Um, Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Carlos. It's always a pleasure when we have the conversations and as, as we think of, uh, of Ecopetrol and the role that we play for Colombia, uh, we've been a fundamental part of this country for what's going to be 70 years in 2021. We're part of that backbone. We keep the economy running. And as part of uh, the COVID crisis, we've been able to maintain the continuous operation. We have to deal with the protocols. We've had to adjust. We have to implement very quick uh, decisions. And, uh, but we've been able to cope. And as we, as we look forward, uh, we see a, a company that's uh, very much in the center of this country. We have almost 16 million Colombians that through their pension funds are indirectly owners of Ecopetrol. So we, we owe ourselves to them and we will continue to protect what we're doing today. But look at transition. We're very much committed to the transition as well. So, Felipe, you have 16 million national shareholders, as well as all of the others that are invested in you. What is what do you tell them about what it means to survive as a national oil company in the midst of energy transition and the pandemic? So the first thing I tell them, Carlos, is thanks, because they were with us in the 2015-16 crisis where we lost money and they received no dividends. So they've been part of uh, our journey in the bad times and also in the good times. And right now, I can tell them that we have a resilient company that's transformed itself. We've saved over the last five years more than $5 billion in that process. Uh, We're a company that was able to adjust very, very quickly. We just posted posted, uh, numbers in the black for the second quarter. It's 18 quarters in a row. And we're committed to actually delivering safe, compliant, ethical, efficient operations. But I would start with saying thanks to them. Felipe, um, that's quite remarkable. In the second quarter, you um, posted numbers in the black at a point in time where global oil demand collapsed about 22 million barrels a day. You don't build resilience overnight. Where did you start? So I think having had crisis before has helped us quite a bit. And as part of the uh, DNA of Ecopetrol, we actually say to ourselves, we're capable of making the impossible possible. And I think that, uh, again, thanks to all the employees in the group, uh, but we've, we've been able to show resilience. We've been able to show commitment, determination. Uh, there's a lot of love for the Iguana no? that we carry in our chest and for Colombia as well. So I think we've learned. I think we've learned. Uh, and, and I have the most talented and, and magnificent, magnificent group of, uh, of people in the, in the group. And, and uh, 
we owe it to them, you know, and, and thanks to them as well for, for their support. So I think it's, it's part of that uh, DNA of being able to become more nimble, use technology, for example. That's been one of the things that we've done that, that's been fascinating, you know, that, that uh, journey. But I think it's, it's a combination of uh, different things, but I think it's down to, uh, to, to the core is, uh, is that commitment and love for the, uh, for the company and for, for the country as such. Well, one of the things that things that's obviously key is cash flow. I'm sure in the earnings call that you just had, you probably had a lot of questions about that. In an interview that I had with the CEO of Petrobras, he, he told me normally cash is king, but in an environment of crisis, cash is God. Um, how are you managing liquidity in this kind of environment? So, so Carlos, very early on, we adapted some contingency plans that we had back in the uh, back end of 2019, we actually said, look, prices could go down, but they could also go up. You know, we didn't know what was going to, what was going to unravel in the middle of March of 2020. So very quickly, we adapted a financial operational contingency plan. Four things we needed to do. One, we needed to increase our revenues. That meant placing microbes in China directly with refiners. We were able to do that. Second, cutting down costs. We were able to do that efficiencies. Third thing is cutting down or deferring some of the investments. We did that. We just announced our new investment plan for the year. And fourth, we were able to pick on over $3 billion of new financing very, very quickly. We did that in a very short period of time and remotely. So now we have a position where we are close to uh, it's 15 trillion pesos of cash at the end of 2Q. It gives us a lot of flexibility, a lot of optionality and space. Optionality is uh, not something that many people are talking about this, these days. It's quite remarkable that you could build it. But, but let's talk about investment for a second. At times like this, um, thinking about investment is, is tough, and everybody's talking about their reductions in, in CapEx. Is, can you think about investment, investing in the future, or is that a luxury at this point? No, I, I think we need to have, we have to, to think about and we need to think about that, uh, uh, that, um, pathway of investment going forward. So, uh, today we're, we're in our calls talking about, uh, for the next three years, 2020, 21, 22, uh, a range of 11 to $13 billion of investment going forward. Uh, that's, I think, uh, a sign of our commitment. For this year is uh, between three and 3.4 billion. So we continue to invest. We're very resilient, Carlos. We actually have uh, over 90% of our production is actually economic below $30 per barrel. So that transformation we're talking about that uh, having worked uh, over the last four to five years in, in that space has given us uh, the muscle uh, to be able to, uh, to underpin the investments going forward. And in those programs, we have a lot of the investment going to EMP, which is the core. We're an integrated company, so we're also investing in upgrading some of the refineries and doing some, some key work there, transportation systems, but very key investments in renewables, solar projects, wind projects, and technology. That's at the core of what we do, Carlos. Uh, I want to come back to the, each of those, and particularly the technology bit, but tell me about your people, the colleagues that you work with at a point in time like this when it's imperative to keep them safe 
And, and quite frankly, the, everybody feels mental challenges as we continue yeah. to confront the pandemic. What have you done for them? So it's been tough. It's been complicated. But uh, even before the, the local governments in Colombia asked us to do a, um, a test of what we, a lockdown would look like, we took the decision of, of sending everybody to work remotely. So 85% of our people are working remotely. It's, it's created some challenges. As you say, uh, working hours get longer. Uh, people normally don't create a, a, a distinction between their life and their families and everything else. And they need to, to take care of elder people or children. You know, schools are remote as well. So what we've done is <clears throat> we've, we've said that between 12 and 2, there's no business meetings. Friday afternoons, there's no business meetings. Friday afternoon, we actually conduct seminars around mental health, how in terms of relationships, how to deal with stress. We have open lines 24-7 to support people in that space. We've actually provided some of the uh, equipment from, from the office for, so they can have a better uh, working environment at home. We're taking holidays. I'm actually going on holiday next week. So we just need to keep on doing what we were doing before. Uh, and I think that's been very good. Uh, today, Carlos, I've already conducted close to 40 sessions with the teams, some 9,000 people, and we have conversations, you know, and it's interesting, but actually technology, we're, we're further apart physically, but we can bring with technology more people together and people actually can have conversations more openly. And I think that's important. Sounds like you're writing a workbook for what the NOC would look like of a future. In fact, you could probably be working on a workbook for any future, the company of the future, because I think these are issues that we're all going to be working on for a long period of time. Let's pick up on the theme of technology. Um, sure. you've, uh, you've told me, uh, you've raised with me a new acronym, TESG. Um, so why don't you explain to, um, to our colleagues who are listening to us what TESG means to you and why, why it's important? Sure. So in terms of, uh, of the acronym itself, and when we talk internally and with our board, we use the TESG acronym, which is technology, environmental, social, and governance. And, and we see that all of them are actually very much intertwined or linked together, and they support each other. In technology, a couple of years ago, we didn't have any bots, for example. In the organization, we have over 105 bots working together. And people are actually seeing that it's making their life better. It's providing them more time, quality time. Right now, and we're testing this, Carlos, it's going to go live in the next few months. We have blockchain to follow and trace our production from the wellhead to the export ports or to the refineries. I think this probably is, is one of the things where we're pioneering in industry. In terms of uh, having our the geologists and geoscientists, you know, they were very much used to having their own workstation at their desk. We pushed a bit last year and that everybody working in the cloud has saved us already in the pandemic uh, over $8 million. So there's specific examples in terms of using technology, and it's part of how we, we do things. For example, cybersecurity, very big thing. In terms of the environment, we're looking at the reduction of emissions, energy efficiency, again, putting more solar power capacity. We're just going to be announcing in the next few days. Uh, our second solar project is 50 megawatts. That would be, uh, and it's, it's, it's power that we use for our own purposes. 
In terms of social, we have a program which is at 1.7 trillion pesos over the next four years to help the communities in terms of entrepreneurship, social and economic development. There's a, a very good example in Colombia, which is called a tax a, a projects in lieu of taxes. So instead of paying taxes, uh, you can do a, a project with the communities. We invested, uh, it was probably 3 million bucks, and we gave 45,000 kids the ability to have desks in their schools. So we can make a real difference. And governance, you know, since Colombia entered OECD, there's a lot of work that has been going to understand where decisions are taken, pushing decisions further down and closer to the operational fronts, and that has helped us quite a bit. So big commitment from the board level down in terms of TESG. And I think even from your president, Dan, who has begun speaking quite eloquently about the importance of recognizing change, embracing change, and and taking advantage of it as an opportunity. And, and maybe if we can take that point and extend it into the issue of diversification, you talked a little bit about um, investments in renewable energy and how you're bringing them into the portfolio. There's a debate about this in the industry. Some are saying that at points in time like this, you have to focus on concentrating resources and on efficiency. Others are saying that change is happening, so we need to get in front of it. Uh, you're obviously moving in a certain direction, but how, how do you find the balance? Yeah, and I think that uh, as we view it in EcoPetrol, we think that first, providing energy to people is probably one of the most powerful ways of reducing the gaps that we have in society. So we're committed to that. So as we think ourselves, we only eight, 17% of our production comes from gas. We want to become gasier, 30, 35% in the next four or five years. So there's a lot of commitment in terms of investing in exploration and developing some of the gas discoveries that we've done. So gas is very important. We still need to protect and maintain uh, our uh, biggest source of revenue, which is our oil production, refineries. We have energy security in Colombia. We're self-sustainable in terms of most of the products and, and the, um, and the uh, production of oil as well. Renewables, fundamental, 300 megawatts by 2022, mostly solar and wind. So we want to do that. But there's uh, some other things that we're doing, Carlos. We're continuously improving the quality of our fuels, for example, in terms of the content of sulfur. Uh, and we're in, in diesel below 10 parts per million of sulfur. And the regulation is 50, 50. So even the regulation is not pushing us. We're just saying, look, we need to do this. It's good for the environment in terms of health, uh, in terms of um, quality of air, for example. So I think, to your point, Carlos, a, a combination of all the sources is important. Maybe COVID has uh, tested that in terms of the pace and how do we balance and, and how do we actually reorganize and shift a bit things, but it doesn't steer us from our main commitment, which is ensuring that we provide the energy to the country. So in, in that realm, let's pivot a little bit to the um, to oil. And um, in the past uh, year and a half, you've made an important investment a joint venture with Oxy and the Permian. And obviously it's been a challenging time um, in shale production in the United States. How is that playing out in the dialogue that you're having internally within Columbia on the importance of making those investments and on the future of shale? 
Sure. The first thing I'd like to say is that I'm extremely pleased with the partnership that we have with Oxygen. We respect them a lot as an operator, their use of technology, and the relationship that we have. Being short-cycled and the unconventionals in the Permian, we're very quick from July last year that we announced the deal. September, we were drilling. November, we had oil in the tanks. And in June, we produced 18,000 barrels in the JV. So very, very quickly, production ramped up from 22 wells. Having said that, given where WTI was in April, we decided to ramp down activity. So we ramped out in May, and now where price is up, we've already decided to restart. So to the 22 wells that we already have, we've already committed another 22 wells that we will be drilling. We actually started drilling last week. We'll bring in another rig in the next few weeks. So it has provided us the flexibility. To your point, strategically, we made this investment to look at the production of lighter oil. It's 40 API. Our crews in Colombia are mostly heavy. We also looked at reserves. But one key fundamental part was technology transfer and knowledge transfer. And we've been able to have a very comprehensive effort with Oxy, and we thank them for that, to ensure that our people learn about unconventional so we can underpin the Proyectos Piloto, the pilot projects in Colombia, to look for feasibility for the unconventionals in-country. Unconventionals in Colombia have had their controversy. Do you see a future there? Yeah, I think we've said, Carlos, before, it's not about doing it quickly. It's about doing it right. And we've said it will be like operating inside the fishbowl, you know, so everybody will look into the fishbowl, will be in the center, communities, NGOs, the unions, the authorities, everybody will be looking inside and look at from a scientific point of view, is this something that the country wants to pursue? And I think these pilot projects that the government has designed have exactly that possibility. So the government has issued the regulation, the technical regulation. There's some environmental regulation coming out in the next few weeks. As soon as that all lands, we've been doing the design and prep work. We'll be able to conduct activities next year. But you're right. It's been challenging, you know, and there's there's apprehension. There's people that are against the use of the hydraulic fracturing technique. So we'll have to go this step by step by step. I think important is transparency and how we relate to the communities and the key stakeholders. What message are you giving to communities, Felipe, about the benefits that this will bring to them? So the first thing is that we tell them that we're open, we're transparent. We're actually thinking back to your point on technology. We're developing blockchain applications to share the information with the communities. So it's there for everybody. We tell them that it's been done responsibly in the U.S. mainly and some other parts, Argentina as well. But the U.S. has a lot of experience in terms of doing unconventionals in a way that's respectful with the communities, with the environment. We tell them that this is an opportunity for the country to uh, to maintain its energy security, which is fundamental. So we don't need to depend or on third uh, countries or, or other countries to provide oil or gas. 
But I think more importantly, as we think about the crisis that we're going through, I think unconventionals is one of the key levers that the country has to help its recovery. It's going to take, this is going to take many, many years, you know, for us to re-steer and, and get back on in the track or on the track, sorry, where we were. So I think unconventionals is one of the opportunities that we have. In the conversation you had with um, President Duque in the session that uh, you both participated in on the celebration of the 80th anniversary of the Ministry of Mines and Energy, um, you both spoke, spoke about energy as a tool for inclusion. What does that mean? Yeah, I think I was mentioning earlier, Carlos, that uh, providing energy to, to people, access to energy, it closes gaps because people have the opportunity of studying or actually uh, organizing a small business or mobility. And uh, it allows the people to have opportunity. And that's very important. It also allows, uh, as the industry uh, works, we, we work in probably a third of the municipalities in the country. It provides opportunity in terms of uh, work opportunities, people providing services. In terms of the taxes and royalties, it provides opportunity as well. I was mentioning this uh, uh, mechanism that's called Obras por Impuestos, which is uh, projects or, or, or construction work in lieu of taxes. So I think uh, having a um, healthy energy system, oil and gas production included, uh, that's respectful with the communities, with the environment, provides a, a country like Colombia an opportunity. This this company and this industry has been fundamental for, for the development of the country so far. And I think we, we can extrapolate that going forward, taking into account some of the things we've discussed. Transition, expectations uh, about uh, global warming and, and the likes. But I, I think we're, we're there. You know, we're, we're part of that backbone to ensure that the, the, the country continues to, to evolve and prosper. Felipe, to close out, a couple of questions about you. Um, you. You have vision, you're focused, you're relentless. What adjective would you use to describe yourself? I'm an optimist. You know, I, I see myself as, uh, or, or I think that uh, any one of us can actually uh, create a difference and make a difference. And uh, when I when I think about every day what I need to do, the first thing is uh, putting the mirror up and looking at myself and understanding that there are things that are good and things that I need to work on. So, uh, but I'm also, as I said, uh, an optimist, you know, and I have a lot of faith in in the country, in the industry, and that we'll we'll go uh, out of this uh, crisis strengthened. And if you were going to recommend a book or a movie or a television series to a friend to get through this period of the pandemic, what would you recommend? Yeah, there's there's a, a book called uh, Reimaginando a Colombia, which is reimagining Colombia. And it's something where they got like 40 or 50 of us together and we each wrote a little a little piece. And it was to do with uh, how do we envision this country in the future? And I think it's more more relevant than anything now, because it's this sense of taking control of our destiny in our own, in our own hands, thinking that we're uh, capable of doing things, of creating change and making things better. So I think I, I go back and read bits and pieces of that book uh, every now and then. It's 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 quite important 
And in terms of uh, series, you know, I, I hadn't seen the um, Insights uh, Bill's Brain series, you know, and I've watched it. And more importantly, I've sat down with my wife and my kids and the family, and, and we've watched it jointly and said, look, there's, there's some, uh, uh, the power of ingenuity and trying to make change. And, and, uh, and when you're committed to something, you can really make a difference. It doesn't matter where you are, what position you have. In that sense, I, I believe I'm truly convinced that we can all lead from where we are. And for, as an optimist who is committed to leading from where we are, how would you see the future of Colombia? What is your hope? Yeah, I'm, uh, I see the country. I mean, we have some challenges, as most people do. But I've seen the progress of, uh, of the country in the last 30, 40 years. I remember the um, last 20 years uh, of the, the prior century were very complicated. You know, they were difficult in terms of violence, in terms of opportunity. And uh, I had the opportunity, Carlos, of living outside of the country uh, for some time. And it was a, a life decision to come to come back. It was the right decision, you know, and I, I won't regret it. I don't regret it because I'm convinced that uh, we have the opportunity to continue to make this uh, country better to close those gaps that we've talked about and ensure that uh, everybody in the country can can sort of uh, join forces, especially as we're going through this uh, COVID-19 and ensure that we're strengthened as we walked out of the crisis. That again, when is it going to end? We don't know. We have to deal with uncertainty, but I'm, I'm very, very optimistic uh, of what the country can do um, in the future. Felipe, at the beginning, we uh, said that we would provide a glimpse of the National Oil Company of the future. Um, we also provided a glimpse of the leader of the future. And it, it's fundamentally embedded in optimism, vision, commitment to action, recognizing that people can make a difference. And when we think about that National Oil Company, I have to go back to some of the points that you made, the importance of people recognizing what their needs are, um, addressing them in the way that you structure the operations of your country company, thinking about technology and how to transform the processes that we've had to make them different, to make them more efficient, to make them cheaper, to make them faster, and the importance of the environment and those are pretty good check items on a checklist for what the NOC of the future should look like. Felipe Bayon, CEO of Equipatrol. Felipe, thank you very much for this conversation. Carlos, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for the opportunity and hope to uh, be able to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sarahweek.com.